Thank you, Joel. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. We were back last Sunday, but we were gone a couple previous Sundays on vacation. Uh, when we had house church Wednesday night, Andy Obrakta asked uh, in his normal sarcastic manner, he said, are you going to show us slides of your uh, vacation as part of our teaching tonight? So I looked for ways to work it in, but I couldn't. And I actually looked for ways to work it into this morning's message and couldn't. <clears throat> so you're going to have to settle for what I've got and no pictures of Colorado. So, you know, looking more closely at something doesn't always give us insight into what it is or what it's for. So sometimes we need to back away a little bit and get a wider big picture view of some things. Now, here are some examples. Who thinks they know what this is? What is it? Cantaloupe, what? Okay, you guys are good. It's a cantaloupe. But the close-up can be deceiving, can it? How about this? I hear coffee. Anything? Any other guesses? A syrup, on a syrup on a pancake. Okay, coffee guessers are right. It's coffee. <clears throat> or how about this? Joel says it's a skunk. I don't know what that says about Joel. <laughs> any, other, any other thoughts? A brush? Okay. It's paintbrush. Or how about this? Spaghetti. I think it kind of looks like fiber optic cable. I don't know if anybody's ever seen fiber optic cable, but you're right. It's spaghetti. Then there's sometimes things that we can't tell what the purpose of an object is. And in this case, it's because it's very old. Anybody know what this is? It's a hand drill. You know, I mean, boy, it's so much easier now with those electric drills, isn't it? And anybody know what this is? It looks like a pipe, doesn't it? Al got it. It's a hearing aid. <laughs> Imagine carrying that thing around just so you can hear. Oh, my goodness. No, what did you say, huh? Put that big pipe to your ear. <clears throat> we're calling this morning's message, What Is It? And we're doing that because that's what God's children, the people of Israel, just several weeks after being delivered from slavery in Egypt, asked when they saw one of God's good gifts for the very first time. They said, what is it? They were looking at what we know as manna. Some scholars believe that manna can mean, what is it? This morning, we're going to look at this scriptural account from Exodus chapter 16 and some passages that parallel Exodus 16 or comment on it. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there because this is where we're drawing most of our resources this morning. Exodus chapter 16, <clears throat> beginning with verse 1. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So it's just weeks later after they've been rescued from Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, 
I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Twice we hear, The Lord has heard they're grumbling against him. Who are we? We are not grumbling against us. You are grumbling against the Lord. <clears throat> and now we jump down to verse 13. It says, That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And then Mo Moses gave them instructions on the gathering of the manna. Ending with verse 19, Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry then, with them. And then we see Moses give very specific instructions about how the group is not to gather on the seventh day or the Sabbath because God provided a double portion so that they could observe the Sabbath rest. Continuing with verse 27. <clears throat> Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? And finally in this section of Scripture, Moses gave instructions on how to remember God's promises. In verse 32, Moses said, This is... What the Lord has commanded, take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. And then in verse 34, as the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. There's a lot we can learn in this account, but I want to focus this morning on just four key things. What we read in verse 8, grumbling about our circumstances is grumbling against God. And again, we saw in this passage, he said that twice, that God hears it. He hears our grumbling. In verse 15, we see the phrase from which we get the title of this morning's message. What is it? It's hard sometimes for us to see God's provision as such, as provision. Sometimes we don't recognize it even when it's right in front of us. Verse 20 we see about testing God. In this case, they were hoarding God's provision and placing their wisdom, well, we've got to go get some on Sunday morning or we've got to save up Saturday night, as he instructed. That was their choice. This brings stink and maggots. Scripture tells us, and this applies to our spiritual life as well as to God's material provision. <clears throat> and finally, I want to take a look at the importance of remembering God's provision. That's a safeguard for us. We celebrate His grace. Complaining and grumbling is something that we're all good at to some degree.
but we celebrate and have gratitude and it helps us in this arena. Even people who aren't prone to grumbling sometimes can deal with the challenge of grumbling. I know people who really aren't grumblers. I would guess that they say sometimes they complain too, if they were honest. There's the story about a monk who joined a monastery and he took a vow of silence and after the first 10 years there, his superior called him in and asked, do you have anything to say? The monk replied, food, bad. <laughs> After another 10 years, the monk again had the opportunity to voice his thoughts. He said, bed, hard. Another 10 years went by, and again he was called in before the superior. And when he was asked then if he had anything to say, he responded, I quit. <laughs> the superior said, it doesn't surprise me a bit, you've done nothing but complain since you got here. I also sometimes think about what Mark Twain said about complaining. Some of you may have heard this. Don't complain and talk about all your problems. 80% of people don't care. The other 20% will think you deserve them. <laughs> but you know, it's important to remember that when we whine, when we complain, when we grumble, whether it's about people in our lives, whether it's about our circumstances, or God's provision, or almost anything, verse 8 says it very clearly. We're grumbling against God. The people here now, they directed their complaints at Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron said, who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but you're grumbling against the Lord. And then verse 9 again says, the Lord has heard your grumbling. Now, thank God that he responds to most of our complaining and our grumbling in a similar manner to how he responded here. Not all the time, but often, maybe more often in this era of special grace in the new covenant. As a result of the grumbling here, what happens? God reveals his provision, he reveals his presence, he reveals his power, and he reveals his grace. Think of it, he responded to their whining and complaining and grumbling by revealing his love for them. Here, his provision demonstrates his presence with the people of Israel. The provision of food proves his presence. His provision of the day of rest celebrates his presence. It's all about his presence among the people. He's with them. And we, under the new covenant, have the very same promise. It's the same promise that's the best promise in Scripture, that he will never leave us that he will never forsake us, that he is with us always. What a wonderful gift. Yet, they still grumbled. In Numbers chapter 11, we see that later in their wandering in the desert, sometime after the account in Exodus 16 that we just read, <clears throat> they were still grumbling. And this time, with completely different consequences. In these passages, we see God's different response to grumbling, we see in Numbers 11.1 1, the people grumbling about their hardships and they complained about their problems instead of praying to God about their problems. As a result, thousands of people were destroyed when God sent a plague of fire to punish them. In verse 4, they complained about their diet. They wanted steak. God gave them hot dogs or maybe tofu. They lusted after what they didn't have instead of being thankful for what they did have. 
So God sent quail. But many died from a plague that God sent in response to their complaints. In Numbers chapter 14, we still see them stuck in the desert. Long time to be stuck in the desert. And at that point, they were facing the giants in the land. And they were again saying, we want to go back to the good old days in Egypt. Their sin was open rebellion against God's leaders. And it demonstrated a failure of the people of Israel to trust and his promises for them. And the result was that all who complained were not allowed to enter the promised land. They were doomed to wander in the desert until they died. Now, in the case of the Israelites, at least in this instance, God showed his displeasure through fire, plague, poisonous snakes. Thanks be to God, we don't see that, do we, when we complain. We might have people avoid us because we're grumblers and complainers, but that might be about the worst thing that we experience, at least in our um, relationships, even though we experience a distancing in our relationship with the Lord because he hears our grumbling. <clears throat> when I think of the consequence of complaining, I think of this story. There was a cowboy driving down a dirt road, and his dog was riding in the back of his pickup truck, <clears throat> and excuse me, and his faithful horse in the trailer behind. And so he rounded a curve a little bit too fast, and he had a terrible accident. Sometime later, a highway patrol officer came on the scene. Now, the highway patrol officer was an animal lover, so when he saw the horse first and he realized how serious the horse's injuries were, he drew his service revolver and he put the animal out of his misery. He walked around the accident and found the dog, and the dog was also hurt very critically. He couldn't bear to hear the dog whine in pain, so he ended the dog's suffering as well. And finally, he located the cowboy. The cowboy was pretty banged up, too. He had suffered multiple fractures, and he, was, he had crawled off into the weeds, and the cop came up to him and said, Hey, are you okay? And the cowboy took one look at the gun in the trooper's hands and quickly replied, Never felt better. Obviously, grumbling and complaining is something that God takes very seriously. Why? Why does God respond so strongly to this kind of discontent? Well, we see several things about grumbling here. First of all, we see what Matthew Henry noted. Discontent, that's another way to say grumbling, magnifies what is past, vilifies what is present without regard to truth or reason. So think about that for a moment in regard to the people of Israel. They had just weeks earlier witnessed incredible miracles by God to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. They'd seen plagues against the people of Egypt. They'd witnessed personally their own firstborn spared when God destroyed the firstborn of the Egyptians. They'd witnessed firsthand the Red Sea dry up for them to walk across on dry land. They'd seen Pharaoh's army right after that swallowed up by the very same sea where they had just walked through on dry land. They'd seen God respond to their first grumblings in the wilderness by turning bitter water into sweet drinkable water. Yet here they were complaining about having nothing to eat. And when they did have food like manna, they complained about the lack of variety. Discontent often has a very little to do with truth or with reason, and it magnifies the past in an amazing and un 
reasonable way. Well, it was way better back then. Well, you know, you didn't think that when you were back then. We see them wishing they died in Egypt, for goodness sakes. They were slaves. They were slaves in Egypt, and they said, oh, we wish we could go back there. We had food. And then back to Exodus 16.3, we ate all the food we wanted in Egypt, they said. It's clear that grumbling is a gratitude problem. Grumbling comes as a response to difficulty, problems, or pain in life. We complain because we think that we should experience pleasure rather than pain and prosperity rather than adversity. We quickly forget his goodness to us. Or worse still, we find ourselves wanting more or different provision. Jim talked last week about does God care. I, that question was asked and answered at the cross, my brothers and sisters. God cares. He sent his only begotten son to the cross. Parents, how does it make you feel when your kids complain about the food on the table? We want something else. <laughs> Nobody here's heard that, right? As a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. And when it's cool, he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. Isn't that true? You know what? It's easy for us to look at the people of Israel and say, oh, those dumb Israelites, look at... But you know, we have to see ourselves in this too. If we're honest, we have any kind of uh, integrity about examining ourselves. Grumbling denies that God is good. Complaining rejects the sufficiency of his provision for our needs. A discontented spirit betrays a lack of trust, a lack of faith. It shows an unwillingness to submit to God's management of our lives. This heart attitude that's displayed in grumbling and complaining says in effect, God, you don't know what you're doing. You're blowing it. I can run this show better than you. I want to step back before lightning strikes me for saying such a thing, thinking such a thing. This passage makes it clear. Grumbling about anything is grumbling against God. Before we move on to our next point, I want to make a clear distinction here. And we've talked about this before from this pulpit. But there is a difference between grumbling or complaining and crying out to God in lament. Just as God hears our grumbling, God always hears us when we cry to him for help. And there's a difference. Complainings like the whining of a child with nothing to do on a rainy afternoon and every suggestion you make, well, try this or do that or do that, every, it's turned down until we kind of just switch off and don't listen anymore. Just one quick look at a psalm helps illustrate this idea that there's a difference between grumbling and complaining on the one hand and lament or crying out to the Lord on the other. Psalm 3 says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Now, if we just read those verses alone, that can sound like grumbling. But then we move on to verse 3. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. Bestow your glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. So while verses 1 and 2 can sound like grumbling, complaining, whining, verses 3 and 4 transform those complaints into a cry to the Lord and a declaration of trust in Him. Complaining and crying out to God are in different categories. God sees and He hears our hearts 
And grumbling reveals a hard attitude, but God knows the difference. We should look for that too. The second thing we want to look at is from verse 15 of the passage we read. What is it? Sometimes it's hard to see God's provision as provision. Sometimes we don't recognize it when it's right in front of us. The people call the bread from heaven manna. What is it? When God's provision comes, sometimes we just don't recognize it. God's promise to meet our needs, not necessarily our expectations. Grumbling and complaining blinds us to the reality of how good God really is. And it can cause us to look at his provision and say, what is this? What is it? It causes us to miss his hand at work in things altogether because we're so blinded. We've got the old blinders on and this is all we can see. A contented man is one who enjoys the scenery along the detours. And sometimes God takes us on detours in our life path, doesn't he? God created the scenery along the detours too. It's part of his provision. Like the people of Israel with the manna, we often can't see God's provision for us. Even when it's right in front of us. On this day, September 11th, when many of us remember the terrorist attacks on America in 2001 on this date, you may remember more than one story about this individual or that person who missed one of the flights that crashed into the World Trade Center that day. Now considering the number of people involved on the three planes, the two that crashed into the World Trade Center and the one that crashed in a field in Pennsylvania, we can find many stories with details something like these. One person's car had a flat on the way to the airport so they missed the flight. Or the kids were sick or another missed a cab to the airport, or they missed the flight, but their life was spared. Or traffic was too thick to get there on time, so they missed the flight. Now these people had dramatic hand, uh, dramatic evidence of God's hand of provision for their very lives. In fact, just like the manna, it was life-giving provision, and I'm guessing that many of them, like us, would have grumbled at these circumstances. Oh, those kids and they're going to make me late or oh, this flat tire and I'm not going to catch my flight and I'm going to miss my flight and I'm going to miss my meeting, etc., etc., etc. But these circumstances literally saved their lives and when they saw that, maybe they paused for a moment and thought, God's provision, God's grace. I, co I could have, I should have been on that flight. Sometimes God's provision's there when we just can't see it as such. Other times we see for what it was later, like these people who missed the, one of the flights that went, went into the buildings. And sometimes we never see it, at least this side of eternity. But the point is, the complaining about provision or the seeming lack thereof is not unlike the people of Israel seeing God's provision even after being promised by the maker of the universe that they would receive it and then not recognizing God's hand at work in their lives. Verse 20, checking up on, testing or hoarding God's provision brings stink and maggots to our spiritual life, even as it did to the material manna in this verse. Why? Because it puts God to the test. 
as if we are kind of checking up on him to see if what he says he really means. Give us this day our daily bread, we pray. This applies to our spiritual provision. Jesus, the bread of life, we'll take a closer look at that in a moment. It, provides, it also applies to our physical provision. It says in verse 20, they paid no attention to Moses. Now remember, Moses was God's agent here. We can clearly hear and know God's command and yet still somehow think we are exempt from it. The manna bred worms and smelled bad. This is the product of our disobedience. This is what happens when we think we are the exception, somehow from God's explicit instructions, or we go looking for loopholes. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, comments on the experience of the people of Israel during the Exodus. It comments on what we read in Exodus 16 and in Numbers 11. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. Thanks be to God. He gives us examples. He gives us warnings. We don't have to just guess. For example of how seriously God takes our grumbling, consider this. The verses in 1 Corinthians, just prior to the ones we just read, which tell us these things are written as warnings for us, lump grumbling in with some other unsavory behavior. We won't take the time to back up and read that, but let me just tell you that idolatry and sexual immorality and testing the Lord is right in there with don't complain. How come that appears in the same list as idolatry and sexual immorality? When was the last time that you thought of your complaining or your grumbling about something as being in the same category as idolatry or sexual immorality. Now, we all know idolatry, sexual immorality, bad, 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 right? Complaining? Mm-hmm. Not so much. But that's where Paul puts it in this letter to the Corinthians. Why does Paul lump this in with idolatry and immorality? Because as a habit of life, as a primary attitude, it is dangerous. It's spiritually dangerous to us because it has destructive consequences. You might think, well, no big deal. I just complain once in a while. It poisons our relationship, or at least has the potential to do that. It undermines our faith. Now, notice that this isn't simply a test of whether they can follow instructions. It was a test of their faith in God. Did they really believe that God would provide what they need for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and so on? Well, we see that some of them failed that test. Verse 20 says, Some of them kept part of it, part of the manna, the what is it, until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Notice, by the way, their result of their fear and their lack of faith here. They collected enough for the day, but because they were afraid, they didn't eat at all. Instead, they went to bed maybe just a little bit hungry, just in case the fresh manna wasn't really there in the morning. They missed out on the wholeness, the freshness. You want fresh manna or you want day-old, maggoty, stinky manna? Because they ignored his clear instructions and tried to make things happen in their own way. A related discussions in order here in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 22, we read about Jesus. And in this passage, he declared himself 
to be the bread of life. Jesus, our manna, our bread of life, is there every morning. He never fails. He's there to fill our hungry hearts, to quench our thirsty souls. And as with the manna for the children of Israel, there will always be enough. We don't have to try to hoard it. We don't have to try to save it up for tomorrow. In fact, we can't do that because it will spoil and it will be ineffective. As with the manna and its physical nutrients, it's the spiritual nutrients that we need. It's there today, and we can't use yesterday's manna. Also, as with the manna, Jesus leaves us specific instructions on how to gather it, to use it for our sustenance, for our spiritual sustenance. He gives us the means of grace in his word and in prayer. This is how we take advantage of that spiritual provision. Also comparing it to the manna, it's God's provision. It's his provision for us. When we complain about and don't trust God's instrument, as the Israelites did with Moses and Aaron. They were complaining to Moses and Aaron, but what were they told? They're grumbling against God. And think about what that means. Not just your spiritual leaders, house church leaders, elders, others we might think of as some sort of spiritual authority in our lives. Sometimes even other relationships that God puts into our lives are part of his provision for our spiritual sustenance. Maybe your boss. Maybe your boss is part of God's provision in your life, in your job. Maybe your spouse, part of God's provision in your life. Your parents, your grandparents, your friends and coworkers, your neighbors. How can we appropriate God's spiritual provision, Jesus, the bread of life? He tells us, by abiding, by remaining in him, we receive his life by coming to him. By coming to him. In chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. We come to him by abiding, by remaining in him. How? In prayer regular systematic reading of his word. We come to him by believing and receiving his good gifts of everlasting life, the spiritual sustenance that comes with that. Jesus is God's manna from heaven, the true bread of life. The Jews saw Jesus, saw his life, saw his miracles, and saw God's provision, but they didn't recognize Jesus as God either. So this is an ongoing problem, not just for the Jews not just for the Old Testament Jews, not just for the New Testament Jews who didn't recognize, Scripture says, the time of his coming. They grumbled about the way. In other words, the means through which he chose to save them. That can't be, you know, he was supposed to be a king. He's supposed to be a conqueror. It's as if they said, what is it? What is it? Now, people eat bread to satisfy physical hunger and to sustain physical life, and we can satisfy spiritual hunger and sustain spiritual life only by a right relationship with Jesus Christ. No wonder he called himself the bread of life. But bread must be eaten, consumed, taken into yourself to sustain life. And Jesus must be invited into our daily walk to sustain our spiritual life. 
And our last point is found in verse 32 of Exodus 13. Remembering God's provision and celebrating His grace. Whenever we are tempted to murmur and complain, we need to review the past and remember how God has blessed us. Many of us are like the person who said, my car broke down and it cost me $400 to get it fixed. $400 that I didn't have. Why me, Lord? After all, I've been better than most. Why are you treating me this way? And then the TV went on the brink, God forbid. And so did the dishwasher and the clothes dryer and the lawnmower and even the iron. Why me, Lord? Besides that, why at my age should I still be having financial problems and not be able to pay for things? Why have you denied me some of the things that you've given to others? Why me, Lord? When we find ourselves starting to think like this or maybe even verbalizing these kinds of thoughts, it sometimes helps to ask the same questions in a different way. Lord, what have I done that is so great that you should have blessed me with a car? What have I done that you've allowed me to enjoy the entertainment a TV set can bring? What have I done that you've allowed me to enjoy the work-saving convenience of a clothes dryer or a lawn mower or an iron? Or how about a family, a place to live? Why did you give me all these things anyway? Why me, Lord? Lord, why did you permit me to be born in America with all of its plenty? I could have been born in poverty-stricken and oppressed Afghanistan instead of rich and comfortable America. Why me, Lord? Sometimes if we ask these kinds of questions in a different way, it helps us generate gratitude in our hearts. We don't deserve any of these things that are provisioned from God, but he gives them to us. We couldn't earn them. So we want to remember his provision. We want to remember his blessings. Gratitude is a good prescription to cure grumbling and complaining and testing God. It's the ready answer to the question the people of Israel ask in the next chapter. Chapter 17, Exodus verse 7 says, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? We need to ask this question. Can we see his hand at work in our lives? We have short memories. Things slip in and out so quickly. But we have his word to lengthen our memories of his graciousness, of his goodness, his grace and blessings in our lives. And to put the things into the perspective that can humble our grumble. That would have been a good sermon title. Humble our grumble. To see the things God has put in our lives as part of his provision. By the way, the title screen here Anybody know what that is? Chocolate. One of God's good provisions. Amen? (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you've given us a way to humble our grumbles. We're grateful that you've reminded us of your goodness and your graciousness, your mercy that's new every morning. We're grateful for all these things, Father God. We ask you, Lord, to help us see your hand of provision in the things that we might in the natural look at and say, what is it? Help us to see your hand at work in the ways that we wouldn't normally look to see your hand at work. Help us to develop hearts of gratitude to uh, stop our grumbling and our complaining. And Heavenly Father, 
Help us to remember your best promises, which you have never failed, that you will always be with us, and you will never leave us and never forsake us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would impress these things in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.